right. Welcome to North Point Plus, episode number 86. Today we have with us Larry Carter. So thanks for being with us, Larry. We appreciate sure it. Always sure thank you. you sitting in and, and uh, sharing your knowledge with us. So okay, great. we've got a few questions for you, but before we get started with the questions, would you just do us a favor and kind of give us a little recap of what you taught on yesterday? Well, it's obviously from uh, the book First Thessalonians, and the Apostle Paul had uh, established a church there, spent just about a month there when persecuted, a persecution came, and they had to uh, go down the coast to Berea, and then from Berea they had to go all the way down to Athens over to Corinth. So it's kind of riding back from Corinth and Athens, both of those cities, uh, to Thessalonica, to the Christians there, and he was very concerned about uh, their spiritual state because he knew that they were undergoing persecution. Um, there are some serious things going on on there. Uh, a guy named Jason, was they were meeting at his house, and they came to arrest him and uh, put him through a, a kind of a court trial kind of thing. And so there was some real complications, and so he sent Timothy back to say, hey, how you doing? And Timothy then returned back to Paul and said, hey, they're doing great. Their faith and love is great. And Paul is more or less saying, hey, I'm glad you're standing up to the persecution. Satan, the great tempter, is not causing you to fall away from the faith. Uh, here's some things I think you need to work on. And that was really as far, as far as he wants them to grow and overflow in their love for one another and for those outside the church. So that's kind of encapsulate. I could have said that yesterday, and that have been a lot quicker than what I just did. <laughs> I went way too long, so I apologize for that. No so, worries. It, yeah. was, it was definitely, it, it seemed to go fast. Yeah, well, great. Thing. Thank you. You're very good. Thank you. <laughs> so, no, I appreciate that. And, yeah. and wow, how, how applicable to today, because certainly uh, lots coming at people today yeah. in the church, especially sure. a lot of uh, persecution and a yeah. lot of uh, crazy things going on. So, sure is. Um, well, Yesterday, you did mention that you in, you had read the book, Explore the Book, mm-hmm. um, as, and you suggested that right. as a good resource to get deeper into the Scripture. But we have a question here asking, is, is there any other um, references that you might recommend? There, there is a ton, and especially now where we have um, all the Internet resources we have, that there's all kinds of things that you just type in. How about overview of the Bible? And there'll be a whole list of things. But I would suggest, and for me, and I know Rick would too, is to really get um, do some research on conservative uh, theologians who have written commentaries. And have, having a good set of commentaries really helps do a great background. So explore the book as like a one-book thing, one-size-fits-all. It's excellent, in my opinion. But for individual books, um, I think getting a good set of commentaries, uh, conservative. Uh, and again, uh, you can go online and say, what's the best commentary on Genesis or what's the best commentary on Exodus? That's kind of what I did. There was a guy named Warren Wearsby a long time ago wrote a book about what are the, what are the best commentaries, and he, he provided what he thought were the best commentaries. So I went and I bought all the ones he suggested, and they were all very good. And I actually had his commentaries okay, as well. well there yeah. you <laughs> so there's, there's all kinds of resources out there today. Just that, uh, as I mentioned in the sermon, what I like about Baxter's book is that he's, he really pr- provides a picture, uh, and I'm a real image guy in my brain. And so like you know the thing with the ministries of Peter, Paul, and John, but he does that with all of them. And they're just really brief. Or, for example, uh, what he does, I thought this was really cool. Uh, and it's just like a one-page thing. It's, it's like one page out of like 500 and some pages. But he, he says, uh, you can 
But you can you can follow the outline of John by the furniture in the tabernacle. And so you go in. The first thing is the altar, which uh, and the laver is uh, the, the washing, where he says, you know, to Nicodemus, "Lest you're born again." Uh, and so here's the laver, and then anyway, it goes all the way through about the light of the world. If you go through all the temple, you can actually follow the outline of John by the furniture in the tabernacle. That's what wow, I mean about pictures. That is so interesting. And okay. again, it's not divinely inspired, but it just provides you a tool, the context that, that, that yeah, you can picture. And so now I can remember the outline of John by thinking of the furniture in a tabernacle. That is so cool. Now, when so, you say Baxter, Baxter's the one that wrote the Explore yeah, the Book. Yeah, then. that's in his book. Okay, right. Baxter. Okay. Yeah. I didn't so anyway, catch... that's kind of cool stuff. Like It that. is cool. Yeah. yeah, thanks for giving us a little additional. Yeah. Now, you also mentioned conservative, and yeah. I think we might get the question, why conservative? Well, because uh, you'll have some of those scholars that don't believe in the authority of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, they believe it's written by a man, and, uh, or men to men, or to men to people. Doesn't matter, just to men. But uh, so... Uh, that, I'd be concerned about uh, getting their commentaries because, uh, um, well, I, I know one one guy in particular out of, I'm not going to mention the church, but uh, when asked the question directly, and I was there with him, said, do you believe that the, the Bible is divinely inspired? And uh, he had a real hard time answering that question. Mm. And so, um, so conservative scholars are important because they have the same viewpoint that we do, that it's, you know, Second Timothy three sixteen, you know, this yeah. divinely inspired word of God. So. Yes, great, thank you. I do think yep. that's important. Yep. So, awesome. Um, the next question says, "Can you share a little bit more of your story? Um, who else besides the professor um, had an impact on your faith and becoming your own?" And then, second part of that is, how did that impact happen? I guess over time. Um, yeah, and it's 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 these different people at different parts of my life. Uh, the the person. As Rick knows, because Rick always says, I love when you tell stories about your dad. Um, even though, like I said, that professor said, you know, you're losing faith in your parents' faith, time to build one of your own. His faith never has left me. So uh, that he lived out his faith. If, if ever there was a guy on planet Earth that ever lived out what he said, that, I mean, I can accuse my dad of a lot of things, of being really harsh and really strict. He wouldn't give me a dollar for a junior high dance once, you know, that story I told here. <laughs> and uh, so uh, there's a lot of things, but one thing I could never say about my dad, he was not a hypocrite. Wow. That's And, and so uh, any moments I could mention, I think I, I shared one time about a year ago talking about prayer here that going upstairs, he, he said he prayed for us by name every, every night. And I remember going upstairs, looking in the door and he's kneeling by his bed praying. And I went, uh, he's praying for me, you know. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. And uh, mom and dad raised five boys. Um, I remember we only could have so much milk to drink because we didn't have enough money. Didn't buy his own house till he was forty-two years old. And it's because they gave twenty percent of their income away to the Lord. Wow, what a wonderful example! You know, so yeah. that's why I'm saying it. Just yeah. that was my huge influence all the way till the day he died. And, and mom, they both lived it out, right. but. So um, that that was as far as another person other than the Holy Spirit helping me and growing me, uh, growing in me is that. But then there's been individual people mm-hmm. at different points when I really needed it mm-hmm. that people came alongside. And you you know what really inspires me too is when I was at president of the college is is the faith of the students. Mm-hmm. Some of these students came from horrible backgrounds. I was blessed. Um, 
never had much money for anything, but we were just blessed beyond measure. Uh, some of these kids it's been come from such horrid backgrounds, and yet they have faith still. Hmm. They believe in God, and so they enrich my life. So it doesn't have to become some spiritual guru or teacher. It's really being involved in the lives of other people and allowing them to teach you hmm. about what it means to be faithful. Hmm. So that's, to me, that's what it's about. That's really cool. Thank you for that. Um, who has been your glory and joy, and what did you um, do to identify and cultivate that relationship? Yeah, there there is such a thing as chemistry. Um, I mean, there there's people you'll come across uh, that it doesn't matter how much you talk, it's like it's like ships passing in the night. We're not communicating, you know. I'm talking about this; they're talking about that, and just go, you know. Obviously, God has somebody else in mind for that person. But then there's others that you connect almost from the first time you lay eyes on mm-hmm. each other. And so I think that's an opportunity that the Holy Spirit gives to you to say, here's a person that you can connect. I, uh, Since Rick told me this doesn't go out to a greater audience, people in New York aren't watching this or whatever. Uh, but there's a guy named Monty Warner. He's now passed to be on with the Lord. His wife went to church regularly, a uh, very devoted uh, lady. Um, and I met Monty at a church function, and his sense of humor, and I was joking with him back. I knew we had chemistry, right? from the. T- so I said, okay, God, open doors for me. I found out this guy played golf. So once a week, we'd play at least nine holes. And I talked to the elders about it, and Rick will testify to this. I don't know if, I don't know if you play golf or not, but uh, I said, you know, I could try to sit in my office talking to Monty and having an hour together. I said, but me being in a golf cart with this guy talking about mm-hmm. life for an hour and a half mm-hmm. is totally different. Mm-hmm. He opens up to me and shares because it's a whole different way of, way of doing it. So I invested my life in Monty. Well, ultimately, he became an elder of the church. Wow. Gave his life to Christ, became the treasurer of the church, which was great because the, he did a straight accounting method where they had another guy did a cruel method. And that, when you do a cruel, I think that's cruel because you can make it say, <laughs> you can make it say whatever you want. I'm getting off track here. But Monty, Monty is one that, and then, uh, my wife and I went with Monty and Jenny on a trip to the Holy Land. Oh. And wow. we were able to spend some, I mean, some tearful moments on that journey. Hmm. And, and to be there. So Monty, Tom Hollingsworth was a sergeant in the state, Ohio State Patrol. Um, dealt with a lot of, I mean, when you're, when you're a police officer, you see a lot, of, a lot of bad stuff. And so I was able to help Tom. I came alongside Tom, and we met doing all kinds of things, just for coffee. Uh, I went with him in his patrol car once when that wasn't allowed, but we, <laughs> we were able to share that way. But I'll never forget, years later, I'd moved away to Grand Rapids and Tom had moved back to the Columbus area and his daughter was getting married and they called me up and said, uh, Hey, we'd love to have you come. I'll never forget this. I walk in, this is a big church building down in Ohio and I walk in the door and Tom's way on the other side. Hmm. And here he's the Sergeant of the state patrol, ex army airborne dude, tough dude. And, uh, he sees me and he yells out my name runs across the foyer in tears to grab me. Wow. That's that's what that means. Mm-hmm. That's the, the joy and the glory mm-hmm. is to know that we've impacted each other on our walk with Christ, that that's deep, and there's a bond there that'll never, never go away. Mm. So That's beautiful. There's others, but those are two. Yeah, thank you. 
All right. I don't know if I'm going to butcher these names or not, but how do you, <laughs> how did you know um, that a, Aristarchus and Aristarchus and Secundus. Thank right. you. Were from Thessalonica. I just made that up. No, it's it's, <laughs> it's Acts. It's Acts twenty verse four. Acts twenty verse four. That's okay. where it says we it. can find it right there. <laughs> Thank you. And then um, you painted a picture of discipleship being taught in relationship and, and teaching others in relationship um, in the Lord. How can we particularly engage in discipleship as the American Church? Um, so that we can really live the way you know, it's called. really interesting. Uh, I had a couple come up to me after the service, and uh, first service, and they said, um, we hunger for something like what you described. Mm. Uh, but in the church today, and I think this is the background, maybe, I don't know if this person wrote the question or not, for, for whatever reason, uh, as our society has become more, I don't know, technologically advanced. I can't put my finger on the reason for it. But we've grown apart. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, we're not in each other's homes as much. Mm-hmm. I, Rick does, he and his wife do a fantastic job inviting people in. Mm-hmm. But they say they've been here, members of the church. They were here a long time ago and then left for different reasons and they came back. Uh, yeah. we're, we've never been invited to anybody else's home. And uh, I didn't go on to say, well, did you invite somebody in your home? I didn't. That wasn't the point of what he was saying. Right. I, he, what he was saying is he longs for this kind of mm-hmm. relationship. That fellowship. And we do have small groups, and I think really right. people do have to be proactive to get involved and get plugged but, into those. But you know what? I've been in small groups, and there's good small groups, and there's not so good of small groups. Mm-hmm. There's small groups that are they go through the motions. All right, we have a list of questions we got to answer here. Let's do this. How do we feel about this? And uh, uh, I was part of a small group not too long ago with the church we attend, 242. And uh, the leader said to me, he says, man, uh, we've had, we had more discussion and more involvement than we ever did. That's because I was there. I asked all the questions. <laughs> I kept asking. The, the guys are always real quiet. It's the, it's the gals that are all really involved and talking. The guys are real quiet. So I just kept asking them questions you know, about everything. And she goes, that's the most I've seen my husband talk, she wow. said. And so, well, you got to invest. But mm-hmm. So there's good small groups mm-hmm. and ones that there, there's no real what call it koinonia fellowship heart to heart mm-hmm. um so yeah i think that is one answer uh but i think i think carving out time for each other um i remember uh, a, a guy said that, that uh, he said spiritual oh it's henry now he said spiritual disciplines means carving out a time of your day to spend with god it takes discipline to do that mm-hmm. because your day gets filled with everything so he said spiritual discipline is carving out time. I think this kind of discipline is carving out time for each other. And to say, uh, you know, hey, let's go over to uh, Panera and get a cup of coffee. Just talk. Uh, I'm involved. Uh, I'm Now I'm a coach, but it's not professional. I don't get paid for it. But I have to carve time. Like tonight, 630, I'm going to be meeting with a young man who's a brand-new Christian. And uh, he, wants to, he wants to be discipled. So I'm going to do that. That's so crazy. we're going to meet tonight, 630 wow. at Panera. And I meet with another guy on Thursdays at, at 10 at Panera. The reason it's Panera is because it's a really good place to meet. There's some nice tables and stuff right mm-hmm. in front of Lansing Mall. But the, the point is, do you have discipline enough in your life to carve out time for people? 
and say, hey, we can meet. Yeah. And there's a number of things that, that can happen. Uh, I remember there was an elder who was really discontented in the church where I served in Michigan. And so I, I said to him, his name was Virgil. I said, Virgil, how about we meet once a week for breakfast on Saturday? He owned his own business, busy guy. And, well, I get. I said, what time? He says, well, how about 6? I said, okay, Saturday morning, 6 in the morning. Okay, we'll do that. We met for six weeks. It changed his life. Wow. And and he and he was my biggest supporter from that point on. He wasn't negative. He was just supportive. But it's saying, hey, my my time is worth meeting with you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just want. So it's intentional. Mm-hmm. It's like, who who do you have chemistry with? Uh, who do you think you could really share life with? Mm-hmm. And make the time. Uh, in fact, I don't think I've ever been turned down by by someone that I ever asked, hey, you want to get together for coffee? Uh, have you ever been turned down, Rick? Oh, are you here? I don't even know if you're supposed to be here. <laughs> Kim, have you ever been? <laughs> uh, so, but right. uh, you hear what I'm saying? Right. I, I think right. it's just intentional, deliberate carving out of time to say, that's part of my responsibility. Right. And what I heard you say, too, is spending the time with, with the Lord first. Who yeah. should I spend time with? And I think that goes yeah. both ways, even to the couple that stopped and asked you, well, we haven't been approached. Right. They could be praying as well. Lord, yeah. bring someone That's to exactly us. That's exactly right. And so it really is kind of a two-way thing. Where yeah, we can't sure. just sit around and wait no. for people to come to us. No. Um, and, and as you said, people have asked you for coffee and go yeah. go out, go golfing, do whatever. I, I love that. Get out of the element, the normal element, and uh, do what the other people might be more interested in as well. So thank you for that. All right. So we have another question. So what can I do when a brother who I am eternally bound to as a brother turns from God and from me as well as others and cuts off the relationship and all communications? That's, that's, that's tough. That, well, that's happened to me. Is it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. And the one thing that um, I never did was I never quit on him. Mm. Um. I kept sending him emails. I kept leaving messages on his phone. And I said, I know you know who it is because you can read my number on your phone, but I'm not quitting on you. His name's Mike. I said, I'm quitting on you, Mike. And uh, I'm praying for you. Mm. I'm going to be here for you. It took about seven or eight years. Mm. Finally, we connected again. Wow. And he's back with the Lord again. That's awesome. But he went through some real horrible things uh, that were the result of things that happened to him as a child that finally came, he never dealt with. It came out, and he had to, his anger with God and all, all that kind of stuff. And But he knew I, I never quit on him, hmm. and I didn't judge him. Um, and so he knew that I was for him all the way through that time. That's so I think awesome. that's one of my life mottos is, uh, is simply this. I believe in you because God still believes in me. Ah, uh, well, that's great. God has never quit on me. And there's times when, if I'd have been God, I said, you know what, you're such a knucklehead. You're not worth my time. Uh, because I've made some wrong choices and wrong, wrong, gone off wrong paths, fought stupid stuff, and uh, been disobedient to God, and yet he's never quit on me. Mm-hmm. And so my life, life, it really is my life motto. I believe in you because God still believes in me. Mm-hmm. And the follow-up is that, who am I? Who am I to sit in judgment of you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't do that. So I think as long as you, you're there and, and you communicate that, hey, bud, whenever you're ready, mm-hmm. I'm here. Mm-hmm. And I know this, I will never disconnect. Mm-hmm. I will always be here for you. That's, that's what I would say. I love that. So the don't, don't quit 
to me, I, what I'm hearing also you're saying is keep on loving, keep on praying, keep yeah. on reaching out. Yeah, keep communicating. And right. don't allow right. the emotions to take over. Right. Because certainly that's painful when someone yeah. cuts you off. But yeah. it's more about their relationship with the Lord and that prayer is what they need the most, right, right. during that time. So right. that's awesome. Thank you. I'm sorry that you had to go through that, but yep. obviously that helps yep. others, doesn't it? Yep. Um, another question here. So what would you say is the number one attribute of God? And I think that's a really challenging question. But Yeah, uh, but you know, as soon as I read that question, I wrote down my answer. And uh, uh, as we were talking previous to, to the recording here, um, obviously God is love. And the trouble is that that, that definition kind of gets lost in a haze of all the different meanings we have for love, let alone all the Greek words for love. Uh, so to me, what matters to me the most, and maybe that's the question, what do you say is, uh, is God's goodness. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason is uh, that was the one attribute that I struggled with the most. That being in ministry, I've seen a lot of heartbreak, mm-hmm. a lot of tragedy, that if I were God, I would not have let that happen. My first funeral was the rape murder of a 23-year-old lady. Mm. She was in a laundromat. I was, I'm 23 years old mm. with my first church. A guy comes into a laundromat and uh, threatens the two-year-old daughter, saying, I will kill her unless you come with me. So he went with her, and he went, and he tortured her, raped her, and killed her. And I had that funeral. Mm. I'm going, God, this is a faithful church member. What, what is going on here? Mm. And those kind of questions haunt you. And so you go, if God is a good God, and then flippantly churches say, you know, God is good all the time, all the time God is good, said, you know what, you haven't thought deeply about that question to say that flippantly. Uh, Because that's, to come to that to a matter of faith, you've got to struggle. And if you haven't struggled coming to believe that, then I don't know if you do believe that you say it. Because you need to be honest with yourself and honest with your faith. So to me, God's goodness, I finally had to come to, come to grips that there is no question the Bible teaches it. <laughs> so what am I going to rely on, my experience or what the Bible says? Mm-hmm. And I've preached and taught my whole life that you rely on God's Word, not your experience. And so I had to let, by faith, have to have the preeminence of the Scripture in my life and to believe it. Um, and so that's the goodness of God to me is the biggest attribute. Mm. most important one anyway yeah and reconciling that with god's sovereignty as because yeah, we know obviously that the evil isn't from god no, but, i know yeah but yeah but but he could intercede he could yes yeah, he, he can if god can heal right um and there's so many stories i've heard of people who have know that it was like you have to want to call it an angel delivered them but that god delivered them from either a horrible car accident or mm-hmm. healed them of a disease mm-hmm. so i don't know god's plan and yeah, you're right. God is his, his sovereign, but in his sovereignty, was he good? Mm-hmm. You know, I believe God's powerful, you know, the, all the omnis, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, but is he good? Was he good to that two-year-old girl that just lost her mom? Mm-hmm. You know, but you finally have to reconcile that with what does God's word teach? Mm-hmm. And so by faith, mm-hmm. uh, I come, I, have, I really do. I, in my heart of hearts, believe God is good. Mm-hmm. And that's what my faith has helped me to do, and the Holy Spirit has allowed me to come to come to grips with that and believe that. Hmm. So, number one attribute, His goodness. Yes. Okay. Um, and then, 
someone has written here, first uh, John three, eight. So I thought we should probably review that real quick. Um, it says the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Right. So with that as context, what are the ways we can link arms with Jesus in the war against Satan? Yeah. I think a great scripture is Ephesians five, one through 20. There's a whole list of things we can do. The Bible's full of all, all of those things, but Ephesians 5, 1 through 20, and then Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 18, you know, putting on the full, full armor of God, mm-hmm. right? And then also we have uh, Book of James, resist the devil who will flee from you. First uh, Peter uh, 5, uh, starting with, uh, what is that, verse 8, verses here we have, three, 3 and 4. I mean, so there's there's a lot of ways we can do that, and but I think Ephesians five one through twenty give a great list. That's a great place to start. Awesome, thank <laughs> so that you. We can do that, yeah. yeah. So, and obviously in prayer, and and then through those scriptures. Sure. Awesome, thank you. And then the last one, we're getting to the very last one here. So I've been reading Ezekiel, yeah. and since we know Ezekiel is a prophet, yes. is it talking about the end times in addition to the biblical times? Yes, that's interesting uh, that uh, the, the person who sent this question in would ask that one. Uh, Ezekiel, if you read any commentary you want to on the book of Ezekiel, you'll find that uh, people scratch their head and say, well, it could mean this, and it could mean that, uh, but then we've got a problem with it. If it means this, it's a problem here, but if we say it means this, it's a problem over here. It reminded me of uh, we had a professor come to Great Lakes Christian College, uh, Greg Linton, Dr. Greg Linton, got his doctor from Duke Divinity, which is like one of the premier schools. And his PhD was on the book of Revelation. So I couldn't wait to have him join our staff. So I, he, first week I went into his office, I said, so Greg, <laughs> what does that all mean? And he goes, I don't have a clue. Wow. And he goes, uh, now what I mean by that is there isn't, a one-size-fits-all. Right. And the same thing with the book of Ezekiel. Um, I, we went to Israel this last September. Uh, my Judy and I and my, my brothers were all there. And uh, there is a whole group of Jews that take Ezekiel and other scriptures literally and believe that there's going to be a new temple built on the Temple Mount. And in fact, uh, what this whole—and you can go into their museum— they have already recreated the furniture and the emblems that are going to be in that new temple. Hmm. And you walk through it, and here's this huge menorah, and there's these other things that they made of gold. and Probably to the scale and, and Right to scale, wow. so that when that temple's rebuilt, they're going to move it right back in. Wow. And, I mean, there's a whole group of Jews that think that. Now, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of Jews feel this way, Jews about this way, this Hasidic Jews and conservative Jews and Orthodox. I mean, you got all kinds of different things that focus on different things. Mm-hmm. So, so they take Ezekiel in that way. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> what's the old rule of thumb is like, uh, you need to take the Bible literally till you can't, all right, till you just can't. And so when you're reading Ezekiel, there's just certain things. For example, when he's talking about rebuilding the temple, I'm, I'm going to get to the answer to this question. He's talking about rebuilding the temple, depending on whether you're talking about rods or cubits as far as the, the distance. If you take that, he's meaning that because it doesn't mention in the scripture, but what they usually said is it's how many rods. And if they build it to scale by the rods, they say that temple would be 47 miles by 47 miles. Oh, wow. <laughs> if you oh. say it's a cubit, 
it's going to be seven miles by seven miles, the temple. So you're going, okay. And then also it says it, it says that the Lord is going to rebuild it, not man. Uh-huh. And but here's the, here's the problem. You you get to I think Ezekiel forty seven. I think I can't write it down here. Uh, but in the passage, no forty three, it says that when the temple is rebuilt, they're going to reinstitute all the sacrificial system again, the shedding of blood of goats and lambs. Hmm. And you go now. How does that fit mm-hmm. with Jesus? Right. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it doesn't. So hmm. when you say, is Ezekiel for them then and us today? I think the main thing to me when I read the book of Ezekiel, it tells me the heart of God. It tells me what God's intention is for us. Uh, he, it really tells of God's intention for the people of Israel and how they went away from what God wanted. Hmm. And then he, in Ezekiel lists, I mean, there's some horrible things that are going to happen. Uh, to to the nation now from those dry bones though uh, new life comes, but there's mention of a gog in there and so some real strange things happen, but it's anything. The basic lesson is is God's will is going to be done. Those that oppose God are going to end up judged and condemned, and horrible things are going to happen, mm-hmm. and some are going to happen to them forever because they've rejected God. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is what really it should look like if we're really believers of God. So. Was Ezekiel just writing to them that day? Yes. Was he writing to us? Well, yes. But the, it's the message behind it. It's what it should do for us. The trouble is, I think we get so enamored with eschatology, end time speculation, and wanting to know when Jesus said, I don't even know. Right. But we want to know so much what it's going to be like that we ignore the main message. Yeah. Are we being true to God? Do we have idols in our life? Hmm. Um, are we really reflecting the nature of God through how we live? I think that's the main... So yes, it was written to us today. Uh, all Scripture. All Scripture is written for us to help us to be the kind of people God wants us to be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's written to us today. But I don't think necessarily all of the prophecies um, cover that. I, I, I shared with Rick once that what this Greg Linton told me, the PhD in Book of Revelation, he said, Larry... The trouble is, with any kind of system or theology, it's like a blanket that's too short. So when you put your blanket and you cover your toes, your shoulders get cold. But if you pull it up here, your toes get cold. And that's the trouble with any system of theology. The blanket's not big enough to fit it all. Hmm. Isn't that a great picture? Again, I'm a picture guy. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, it, it, one, so when you say I'm a premillennial or a, I'm talking amillennial or postmillennial or dispensationalist, it works mostly. It can work for the scripture, but there's always that nasty scripture over here that, well, we don't we don't pay attention to that one because it doesn't fit under the blanket. Hmm. So and I think the same thing with the book of Ezekiel. Uh, I think you can say, well, it sure sounds like it's talking about that they're going to rebuild the temple. Okay, but read the rest of what it says. Hmm. Are they going to reinstitute the sacrificial system? No. Right. That's what Jesus did. <laughs> right. So. That's, that would be my answer to that. So some things we'll just find out when we that's get, exactly right. When we are reunited with the Lord. <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, thank you for your insights on that. Well, so I think thing, that was really it, helpful. It yeah. is an old old saying, and Rick was taught this too at Cincinnati because this is why I was taught there too. He said when when it, he says uh, one professor was asked, "Are you a premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial?" And he said, "No, I'm pro millennial." 
He said, whenever it happens, I'm for it. <laughs> so, so that's really how I look I at it as well. That. So I might use that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Larry. That was a wrap on okay, North well, Point great. Plus episode number 86. So we hope you'll join us again next week right here, same place. And go ahead and feel free to share on uh, any social media uh, you, you have your choice. So we appreciate you being with us today. Thanks. That's a wrap.